Thanks for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today's message is a part of our series, In This House. There are certain things that define every household, things that make them unique, and things that are important to them. A church many times functions the same way. In this series, we are going to look at the things that are important to us here at Connection and what it means to be a part of a church family. Good morning. Everybody good? Uh, wanted you to see some videos during the series in this house as we're looking at um, just the family aspect of church and, and uh, how every house, every family um, has values that are important. Um, ha- we instill things into our children, values that we hold uh, as important to us. Um, and, and we make sure, you know, certain things are taught. And, and in this series, in this house, that's what we're doing. We're talking about what's important to us as a family of believers, as people who are in this house, this church, Connection Church, what's important to us. And we wanted you to see some people, one, who their lives have been transformed uh, through the ministry of the church. And, and so many of you have poured into the lives of the people that you'll see in this, these videos Um Scott and Christy, a lot of you may not see them unless you have children in first through fifth, but they're leading the worship over there and, and doing such an incredible job. And we've seen them grow so much um, themselves and helping these children grow and understand what worship is. So very thankful for them. Um, so thankful for what God's doing in their hearts um, and in their lives. And, and uh, it's the same thing we want for all of you, that um, God would do something incredible in you so that he can do something incredible through you for his glory. Um, and so that's what we're looking at here in this series. I want to welcome you if you're a first-time uh, visitor guest here at Connection Church. Man, we're glad you're here. Um, if, if not, man, if you've been here a while, man, we're glad you're here. And uh, praying that God does something awesome in our hearts today as we continue this series um, through looking at worship. Last week we talked about the Word. We talked about how important that is, the foundation for life, where life comes from. It's through hearing the Word that we come to faith in Christ and, and that God takes us from death to life and in Christ and fills us with his spirit that we can then live a new life in him. And this week we're going to look at worship and what it means to worship God. Um, I would suspect and have a hunch that for most of us, um, when we leave today, um, we may think of worship a little bit different um, than what we've maybe grown up knowing it as or even feel like we've experienced worship being. Um, We're going to look at that a little bit different today. Uh, Before we jump into the scriptures, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 12 today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I do want to say happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Very thankful for you. Thankful for my dad down here on the front row who poured so much into my life um, and loved me many times when I was unlovable. Um, As you parents know, sometimes kids can test you and try you. But what an awesome example of our Heavenly Father's love when dads love their children unconditionally. Um, and and uh, so very thankful for that. Thankful for you bringing your family to church today and uh, being here on this special day. So happy Father's Day to you guys. Let's jump in. Got a lot of ground to cover in a short amount of time. Um, so Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Then we're going to flip over to Hebrews chapter 12 and read verses 28 and 29. Um, Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Some translations say reasonable act of worship. Some translations say true act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And if you flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. 
Verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaking, shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love and grace in our lives. We thank you for the power of your word. God, in light of the mercy you have shown us, God, it is only reasonable that we would offer our lives as living sacrifices to you, to worship you with every aspect of who we are, Lord. Our spirit, our mind, our body, God, they would all be given to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would create a community of believers that God loves you with all of their being, that are consumed by the fire of your spirit and the great news of the gospel. Lord, we love you and thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how many of you have been around a little while? You've, you've probably maybe grown up in a church that was very different from Connection Church, or you've had some experiences in worship that were very different, maybe from what you've experienced here, um, or you're here and, and, and you've visited other churches and you've seen some really different experiences. How many of you would say that that's your story, that you, you've seen a lot of different worship experiences? I, I would even say that for many of you, when you came here, it was very, very different. Um, we've heard this since the beginning because you walk in and it's like full band, right? That was probably different for some people when you visited the church and it's full band. Um, you got electric guitars. You got this dude that looks like the animal from the Muppets playing the drums, you know, wearing it out, just going to town. You got people singing. It's loud. You got people who are kneeling, jumping around, doing different things um, in worship. And so it was probably very different. You got people who were wearing jeans. The preacher's got on jeans and some Sundays he's had on a t-shirt and I'm not real sure about that. And, and, and so it's just different worship um, experiences. You, you come in and there are people in shorts and flip-flops and it just looks really different. And so we've had a lot of different worship experiences. I bet for many of you, when you walked in and there were people in here during the music, during the worship time, and they had their hands in the air, it was really different, right? And for me, the church I went to when I was in high school, I would go with my girlfriend to church. And, and the church I went to, that if you raised your hand, they thought you had a question. And they'd be like, no, sir, we will, we'll, we'll get to that later. We can't answer that right now. And, and so it was just different, man. When I started seeing people raise their hands, I didn't know what they were doing. In fact, a show of hands, that, that was different for you when you started seeing people raise their hand. You can you know, raise your hand. Was it different? Yeah. And see, now all of you've raised your hand in a worship service, right? <laughs> Y'all like crazy charismatics now that just running around hair on fire, right? And, and so... It's just different. It's just a different style of worship. And because we've experienced different styles of worship, different worship experiences and environments, we, we all tend to come to this place of having our own idea of what worship is, what it looks like, and, and even what it should be. And that begins to be formed in our mind. But today I want us to talk through some of the aspects of worship and what I believe worship really is and what I believe the Bible teaches us about worship. And if you want to write down a definition of worship, this would be it. This would be my definition. If you don't like my definition, come up with your own definition. But this is what I would say. It's our heart's response to what God has done. Very simply. It's our heart's response to what God has done. If you want to put in parentheses and what he's doing. 
It's simply an overflow of our heart, our experience with God, what God's doing in our, in our lives through his mercy, that the, the love that he's shown us, the way he's worked in us, the, the forgiveness that we've experienced, the, the release from sin, the freedom that we find in Jesus. Those are the things that bring us to this place of worship, knowing that our eternity is secure, that we'll be with Christ forever, that when all is said and done, no matter what we experience here, that, that our eternity it's secure in the hands of Christ. That brings us to worship. It's our heart's response to what God's done. I want to give you three things real quick to just set up the rest of this message. And, and then we're going to hit it and we're going to worship some more. But, but the three things are this. The first one is this. Worship comes from hearts transformed by Jesus. That's the source of our worship. Worship comes from hearts that are transformed by Jesus. That is the key to worship. See, here's the reality. Religion, this, this going through the motions, this, this just acting religious outwardly but having no heart transformation. Religion is basically got man's, a man-made attempt to please a holy God. But worship is man's declaration of a God who's made us holy. It's a huge difference. That we don't come and and just go through religious formality. We come and we proclaim in our life and our worship here at the church and all areas of our life, we proclaim a God who's made us holy through the giving of his son. He's forgiven our sins. He's promised us life. The second thing I'd tell you is this, that we worship to glorify and magnify God. We worship to glorify and magnify God. When we worship with our lives, God is glorified and God is magnified. Let me ask you this. How many of you had a magnifying glass when you were a child? Raise your hand. A lot of people. How many of you used a magnifying glass to burn grass when you were a child? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. How many of you used a magnifying glass to burn... He's just got his hand up. How many of you used a magnifying glass to burn ants when you were a child? cruel sinners you need to repent all right it was fun though wasn't it It, yeah crazy how it worked the magnifying glass it it, it magnified the light so much that it heated things to the point where they just caught on fire and see i believe that that's what happens in worship i believe that we magnify and glorify god so much and the light is magnified the light being the sun the s-o-n jesus is magnified so much that it begins to heat up things in our life begins to transform things in our life and the spirit begins to work in our life to a point where our hearts are literally consumed by the fire of god that's what worship does it magnifies the light in us and it glorifies God in the world. The third thing I would tell you that worship is as our heart's response to what God has done is that you're always going to worship. You always will worship who or what has your devotion. The reality is we all worship something or someone. The question is, what is that something or someone? And is it really worth our worship? Is it really worth our devotion? I would tell you this. I don't believe anybody else can do for you what Jesus has done. And I believe he is worth and worthy of all of our worship, all that we are and all that we have. The question is who or what has your devotion? Because that is what you worship. It could look 
like a million different things for every person in this room. I bet you if you think about a couple of things, like where do you spend your time, where do you spend your money, what do you think about? It'll point you real quick to your whatever it is that you worship. So when you think about those things, when you think about that it flows out of a heart of worship, when you think about that, that, that it's from what God has done in us, that you think about we worship what has our devotion, you begin to realize that, that in worship, every area of our life is impacted, right? That, that when God touches our heart and he begins to change our heart, it impacts every area of our life. Whatever it is that has our devotion affects every area of our life. It affects how we spend our time. It affects how we spend our money. It affects everything. It affects how we raise our children. It affects every aspect of our life. And what I want to spend the rest of our time doing this morning, we don't have a tremendous amount of it, but, but I want to start looking at, at just... Three areas that I believe that worship impacts our life. That when we begin to worship anything, it impacts us. But certainly, when we begin to worship Jesus, it impacts these areas of our life beyond question. The first one is this, out of Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. The first area of worship that is impacted is our corporate worship. And listen to these verses. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as we are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Many times I hear people say this, they'll say, well, listen, I love Jesus, but I don't really need the church or I love Jesus. I just don't think I have to go to church. I don't think I have to be involved in the church. I think if I drop in one Sunday a month, that's probably good for me. I really don't need the church, but Biblically and practically, that's incorrect. Because we need to meet together. We need to gather together. We need to worship together so that we can spur one another on to love and good deeds, that we can encourage one another in the faith. That's what we do when we walk in here is we worship together, we encourage one another, and we magnify God and glorify God together. That's why we need the church. And he says, don't forsake it. Don't put it aside as if it's not important. You need to worship corporately. And when Jesus grabs a hold of our heart, we begin to see that corporately we worship. But what do we typically think about when we think about corporate worship? When you think about Sunday morning and somebody says, it's time for worship, what do you think about? Singing, right? That's what we always think about. And we think about it singing, but worship is so much more. When we gather together as a bunch of believers, it's so much more than just singing songs. Like we don't stop worship just because the band walks off the stage. We don't quit worshiping just because there's no more songs on the screen. Our worship continues. When we open God's word, we're worshiping. When we give at the end of the service, what do we always say? We're going to continue our worship through our tithes and offering, through our giving. And we're not just saying that to just manipulate you to try to give. We're saying because it is an act of worship. It's what we, one way that we do worship. We worship by how we treat each other on Sunday morning. When we love each other and we, we, we care for one another on Sunday morning. We, we worship when we serve each other on Sunday morning. When people are out there with the blue shirts on. Listen, those are busy people who have a lot going on, but they love Jesus and they love you. And they're going to worship him by giving their time, giving their energy in hopes that you experience the love of God. That is an incredible act of worship. We worship when 
We meet in connect groups, our small groups, when they gather together and they pray together and they open the word together and they share life together and they care for each other. One of the greatest acts of worship I've seen in a long time was my dad was going through all he went through with the brain hemorrhage and everything when he was in the hospital for so long. Their connect group was at the hospital. Their connect group cut their grass. They went out there on a day, I promise, it was hotter than Hades at, at, on this day. And they were out there with weed eaters and lawnmowers, cut the grass. They've taken food. I would say that is an incredible act of worship. But they weren't out there like, you know, singing amazing grace with the weed eater. They were letting their lives sing it for them. And so we see worship in so many different avenues, in so many different ways, corporately. It doesn't necessarily involve music, but music is a part of our corporate worship. And it's an awesome part. I love the music. It's an important part. The question that we need to answer is why do we sing? For the same reason that we serve for the same reason that we treat each other with honor and respect for the same reason that we, we love people in our connect groups and we care for people in our connect groups. The same reason to magnify and glorify God. So when we walk in here at nine or 11, not nine fifteen, eleven fifteen, right? And we sing these songs. We're declaring what God has done in our lives. We're declaring who he is and we're glorifying him in a way so that the world can see who he is. And our lives begin to proclaim it. Our mouths are proclaiming it. Even sometimes the posture of our bodies are proclaiming that God is, he's the Lord, that Jesus is the king and that we're worshiping him. We want to magnify him through the things we sing. And it's important for us to come in and declare what God has done in our hearts. That's the source of worship, right? It's our heart's response to what God has done. And we come in and sing songs to the Lord. We worship him through the music. Corporate worship isn't just music, but it is partly music. Music does make up part of it. I hear this all the time. Well, I don't like the music. So I just come to hear the message. You know what my response has been for four and a half years when somebody says that? We're not singing to you. Right? I mean, think about it. If we were singing to you, then we would want you to like the music. But we're not. We're singing to God. We're glorifying and magnifying him. And you know what's awesome is there are people in this church that do not care for the music that we play and sing here. And there's honestly some days that there's songs that I'm like, that song, eh, not my favorite song. But you know, there's people in this church who are faithful and who serve and come to this church and and they come in every Sunday and, and they worship through the music, even though it's not their preference because they've realized that it's not the music that has brought them here. It is God who has planted them here to serve and to advance the kingdom. What an awesome testimony of maturity for people to come in and say, corporately, I'm going to worship. And you know what? This music isn't my cup of tea, but the God that they're singing about is, and I'm going to praise him with everything in me. We have some people who walk in week after week and the first thing they do is pop in earplugs. Not their thing, but man, they love Jesus and they know that God's brought them here to serve and to worship. A lot of you, I'd say most of you raised your hands when I asked the question, 
Like, was it different for people to raise their hands in worship? Was it something new? And, and for a lot of us, it is. I mean, I know my first experiences with that. Like I said, I thought, do they have a question? What's, what's going on? You know, they, are they pitted up? They're trying to air. I don't know what they're doing. And so, but, but why do we do those things? Why, why do we sing? Why do we kneel? Why do we bow? Why do we lift our hands? Why do we clap? Because you know, at, in a Christian um, environment, after every song, we have to clap, right? I mean, just, it doesn't matter if like people are like, song ends. Like we always clap. We just do. Why don't we sing? Number one, because it's biblical, right? It's biblical to lift our hands to God. It's biblical to, to clap. It's biblical to, to sing. It's biblical. It's biblical to have stringed instruments. Read the Bible. They're in there. It's biblical to, to have symbols. It's biblical to worship in that way. God desires it. He, it. It honors him. It's reverent. I would tell you this. Being reverent isn't about what you wear. It's about the condition of your heart. God doesn't look at your appearance. God looks at your heart. Your heart reverent before God. It's always interesting to me. And at this church, we don't want to press anybody into any mold of worship through, through music. What we want to do is get you to be where you can respond in freedom in worship. And responding in freedom doesn't mean that you jump or shout or clap or, or raise your hands. It means that you respond in the way that God prompts you to respond. And you see this working in people's lives. It's called the evolution of worship is basically what this is. And you see people who come in and they begin to sing and everything in them wants to raise their hands. They even had a guy come up to me at the gym the other day and he was like, I finally did it. This is how he opened the conversation. I finally did it. I'm like what? He's like, first time ever. You're going to have to give me more to go. I have no idea what you're talking about. He's like, I raised my hand Sunday. I was like, awesome. You know, and he's like, I I wanted to, I wanted to. And you can see people go through this where they're like stiff, like they got rigor mortis, like their hands are down here. And they want to raise them so bad. And then they go to this, this point, or it's like they're waiting on you to give them something. The first time I ever saw a girl doing this, I was like, are they coming around serving communion? I... I don't know what she's doing. And then you go to the arrest, right? Like you've been arrested. And then you finally, you finally stretch them up, but then you're in this confusing moment because you're like, I have no idea what to do with my hands. Like, do I do it? What, what do I do? I point, do it. I don't know what to do. And so you see, and, and really it's just responding to God. It's responding to what God's done. It's surrendering to God and saying, God, man, I want you. It's like a child lifting up his hands to the Lord and saying, God, envelop me in your presence. I want to be in your presence. I want you to hold me. I'm running to your arms, God. I want to experience you. And we simply respond the way God calls us to respond. We take our body and we put it in the posture of our heart of surrender. Whatever it is that God's calling us to do. And sometimes we need to put our body in a certain posture to bring our heart into alignment. Sometimes we just have to, in faith, say, I'm going to lift my hands. I'm going to kneel because I believe that when I begin to praise God, God's presence is going to come. That he's going to speak to my heart. That he's going to move in my life. The second way I'll tell you is that our area that's affected. First is corporate, uh, when we gather together. The second is public, that our worship um, takes place in the world. It's public worship. Here's the thing that happens many times is we think that our worship stops after 1215. We walk out of here, we go to the restaurant, the worship stops. But the reality of it is, and what Romans teaches us, is that our whole lives are offered to God 
in worship. Romans 12.1 says, therefore, um, Hebrews 12.1 also starts off, therefore. And what it's therefore is that it's referring to the things that the writer has already written. And what he's saying is basically it is reasonable in light of what God's done. If you go back and read Romans 1, um, chapters 1 through um, 11. You see that Paul paints this picture of the mercies of God and how God's brought us to himself and how he's forgiven us of our sins and how he's done all these incredible things. And he paints this incredible picture of this good news of the gospel of Jesus who who came to give us life, to forgive us of our sins. And he says, therefore, so what's he speaking about? He's speaking about the mercies of God. And, And then you go to Hebrews and he says, therefore, since we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken, he says, therefore, worship God. With reverence and awe. He's saying, look at what's taking place. Look at the mercy that God's given you. And your only conclusion is that I should worship him with everything that I have. And that's what our public worship is. It's our heart's response to God in the world, whether we're at work, whether we're at school, whether we're at home, whether we're Listen, at, at the grocery store, whether we're um, right, wherever we are, it's God's, it's our response to what God has done in our heart. In public, in light of his mercies, it works itself out in every area of our life. Our mind, our body, our spirit. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is talking about. Offer your mind, offer your body, offer all that you have. In other words, surrender it all to God in light of what he's done for you. Their entire lives are lived in that way. Here's the thing for many of us, that our worship stops when we walk out of the church. And then maybe for some of us, we pick it back up in the morning for 10 or 15 minutes when we read our devotional. And then we go about our day. But but worship doesn't consume our lives. But the Bible, unless it's telling us something false, and I don't believe it is because many of us have experienced this for ourselves, the Bible says that God is a consuming fire, that he can consume our lives so that our thoughts, so that our, our, our actions, so that everything is dictated by God, so that we literally are transformed, that our mind no longer conforms to the patterns of this world, but it begins to be transformed so that we can understand his will and we can begin to walk in his will. So that whether we're in line at Walmart or wherever we are, we're thinking about God. And you may think that that's impossible, but here's an illustration to show you that it is very possible the first time any of you ever fell in love and I put that in quotation marks fell in love who did you think about when you met your spouse and you began to date them who did you think about listen when you found this boyfriend or girlfriend and you fell in love who did you think about when you were at work who did you think about them it's okay it's not you don't go to hell for thinking about them it's okay them. When you were at, at, at school, who did you think about? Them. The answer to the next few questions will be them if you'd like to participate. Who did you think about at the grocery store? Them. Constantly thinking about them. You would see food and, and you would think, I bet they like that food. I bet they like yogurt. I should buy them some yogurt. You see something that's heart healthy, so it has a picture of a heart on it. Oh. They have my heart. And so you think about them all the time, no matter where you are. You're riding in your car. You're thinking about them. Every billboard reminds you of them. And especially every song. 
reminds you of them. It doesn't even have to be a love song, right? Be like, Back in Black by ACDC. And you're like, I bet they're wearing black today. And and it's like everything just consumed with thoughts about them. And and, and I was the same way when I met my now wife, Susan, back in the early 90s. It's a long time ago. A lot of you weren't even born in the early 90s. Back then, we didn't really listen to CDs as much. We still had these strange looking things called cassette tapes. And the cool thing about cassette tapes is you could just pop them into your boom box from which you played Run DMC and you could record different things from the radio. And so we would make tapes for each other. And my wife now, my girlfriend then, would make me tapes. And what I want to do very briefly is I want to take you back to the early 90s. You'll see a picture of my 1983 Honda Accord with a radio that was more expensive than the car. And one of the songs that Susan made our song and sent to me on a tape. Check this out. I cross my heart and promise to give all I've got to give to make all your dreams come true. wipe the tear right how about uh how about some striped shirts man what was going on with that i think i still have that shirt but i mean consumed man every song we had that song mine i think for her was like sweet child of mine or so it was not straight you know it's something different but but you were just consumed with this thought about this person and and that's what you think about And, and if that's so with a person who who tends to grab our heart, who we love dearly. How much more God, who gave his son to give us life. How much more God, who in his mercy reached out his hand to us. How much more can he consume our heart when we're renewing that love relationship like we should be with our spouse. Constantly, constantly falling more and more in love with God and allowing him to pour his love out in our lives. It is possible to be that consumed with God. The last way I would tell you we worship, we worship corporately, we worship publicly, no matter where we are, no matter what we do, we worship. The third way is private, our private worship. And I believe Jesus teaches us that this is the most important. In Matthew 6, 5 through 6, he's speaking to his disciples about prayer. It's five through seven. It says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus tells us that what we utter in secret will be proclaimed from the rooftops. He tells us that what is in our, in our heart will ultimately come out of our mouths. He says that from the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. I can tell you this, that what we do in private, what we put in in private is going to be made public at some point. So that 
our private worship, our private time with God, our private time at home with our wife, with our kids, Jesus says is what's really important because it will overflow into every area of your life. It's amazing when you're spending time with Jesus and Jesus is pouring into your heart, how it just overflows into your worship here. Many of us don't spend any time with God during the week and we walk in and expect him to blow our socks off for an hour and 15 minutes on Sunday morning. I'm telling you, this should be an extension of your worship, not your worship. Experiencing God every day. What an awesome privilege. That's what Hebrews, that chapter in Hebrews 12 is talking about. This amazing privilege that we have to be a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That no matter what else comes, we're just held by Christ. In our private times, we all worship something. In our homes, we all worship something. In our apartments, we all worship something. What is that something that you worship? What is it that has your devotion? See, here's the thing I know is that most of us don't realize some, that we're actually worshiping things. Most of us don't think of the things that have our devotion as being our objects of worship, but they are. And we certainly don't think about this, that not only are we all worshiping something, but we're also leading other people to worship something. Think about that. Because here's the thing I would know. Most of you would not consider yourself a worship leader, would you? But I would tell you this, parents, roommates, you're leading people to worship something. Demonstration of your life. Most of us would think about worship leaders looking something like this, right? Right? I actually got this from our drummer. His head's much smaller than mine. And so you kind of got the, the funny hat going on, you know, the worship leader look. And then and you got to have the, the deep V, right? The deep V neck. Yeah. And, and so that's a worship leader. And then, man, these are nice jeans. These are Calvin Klein's. Skinny jeans. Not getting in those. All right. And so we think about that and we think about that being what a worship leader is. We think about music being what a worship leader does. And I would tell you, dad, that you're the worship leader for your home. I would tell you, mom, that you're leading your children to worship something. The question is, what are you leading them to worship? Roommates, what are you showing your, your, your other roommates that, that, that you worship? What are you leading them to worship? What are you pointing them to? I would tell you this, that a worship leader is not just someone who stands on stage with a guitar. It's a dad who, even though he's beat down from the day He takes the time at night to open the Bible and read it with his kids. A worship leader is a dad who gets up a few minutes early to read his Bible so that occasionally his children will walk through and see that it's important to him. It's actually letting them see us worship. It's moms and dads who, who, yeah, we all have issues, but we work them out in the love of Christ. Their children have a secure environment that they see the love of Jesus working itself out in their lives. Worship leading is mom when you're riding in the car and the children are in the back and they're going, mama, 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 mama. 1,000 times from middle ground to Statesboro. And you still love them. You still give them unconditional love. Getting in the yard and throwing the ball when you're tired. You've had a bad day and none of us are perfect at this. 
None of us are perfect worship leaders. But I'd ask you, what are we leading people to worship? What are we pointing them to? What are we showing them? The reality of our worship. Do our marriages reflect that? Listen, man, so many times our marriages, we forget that it's for better and for worse. Typically when the for worse comes, we just bail. I can tell you one of the greatest acts of worship I've, I've witnessed is when my dad was in the hospital. Susan, my wife, would not leave my side. For the first three days, I finally made her and my mom go to a hotel room because she wouldn't leave. And she knew I was going through a difficult time. She knew my dad was, was in a critical situation and she wouldn't leave. That's the greatest act of worship. Let me tell you this. Anybody can come in here for an hour and 15 minutes, lift up their hands to God and say, bless me, Lord. But who's going to be there through the fire? Who's going to be there through the storms? Who's going to be there when things get rocky? I'm telling you, that's true worship. Who's going to stand with people when things are difficult? Who's going to love them when nobody else can, when nobody else will, when everybody else has given up? In light of God's example of loving us when we didn't deserve it, how can we withhold it from other people? That's true worship. You want to worship, lay down your life for others. What God calls us to. So we're called to this place of private worship where God's transforming our heart, where God's moving in us and moving through us. We come to this place where our worship becomes uh, public, where we're proclaiming it at work, where wherever we are, our hearts are consumed with God because we're in a relationship with God. And the Bible is true that He is a consuming fire. And then we come in and we have corporate worship where we encourage one another. I want to read to you a great picture of corporate worship. It's in Hebrews 12, back up a few verses from where we opened up this morning. And it says, but you have not come or you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. There's a lot of words in there, and there's probably several messages in there, but this is what I want you to see in this, to sum it up. He's saying you haven't come to some earthly kingdom that can be rattled, that can be shaken, but you've been anchored behind the veil in the presence of God so that nothing can shake your eternal inheritance. You've already crossed over into eternity with Christ, this great mediator who through the shedding of his blood brought forgiveness of sins. And he says, when you begin to sing, not only are you singing together as a body, not only are you worshiping at work, just you, but you're joining in with every Christian around the world, whether it's corporate, public, or private and you're singing praises to God through the way you live your life, through the songs that you sing on Sunday morning, through the way that you love your wife or you love your husband or you love your kids. You're worshiping this God who is so incredible and so amazing that he shed so much mercy on you that your future is secure. And he says, not only are you joining with people on earth, but you've come to this place where you've been brought into this kingdom so that when you worship God, you're actually joining with 
with thousands upon thousands of angels who are gathered around the throne of God, singing his praises, magnifying and glorifying God with everything that they have. When I think about this, that we're joined together with the big C this morning, proclaiming the word of God, that we're joined together with the big C this morning, serving each other, that we're joined together with the big C this morning in the songs that we sing, in the way that we love each other, in loving on children, in in loving one another as we, we walk in and out of this building. When I think about the fact that we've joined with people, that jacks me up. But when I think about the fact that we've joined together with thousands upon thousands of angels who right now are looking at the very glory and presence of God and we're joining in with them to sing praises to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who is sitting at the right hand of God, who has put every enemy under his feet, who has overcome every power and every principality in this world and has promised to plant our feet on a foundation that cannot be shaken and to inherit a kingdom that can never be taken from us, man, it makes me want to worship him. It's not just about us. It's about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords and all the angels of heaven. It's about us as a body and the big C. Listen, we get so focused on building our own little kingdoms. What about the big C? What about the big church? What if we all lifted our hands to God together? What if we all came together and worshiped him and put our own agenda aside? What if we could just say, it's not about my little K, it's about the big K. And we began to magnify and glorify God with everything in us. So it wasn't about who went where. It was about the fact that we're all worshiping God together. Wouldn't it be better? Wouldn't it be awesome if people could see the reality and the glory of God through his church? That's what he's called us to. That's what he's called us to, to magnify, to glorify, to turn up the heat with our worship, laying down our lives giving it all to him by surrendering it all to him. We're about to worship, man. We're going to sing some songs and I I pray the Holy Spirit blows the roof off this place, man. And get a grant to fix it. And he does something in your heart that maybe blows the roof off your heart and that you would be free to respond to God, how he calls you to respond. You need to come down here and kneel. You need to come down here and jump. You want to run around. I don't care what you do. You respond how God tells you to respond. You worship him. You love him. And you let him love you. That's what we're here for today, man. To be encouraged, to be built up so we can go out here and continue our worship. We're going to pray and we're going to sing and we're going to sing glory. Our God, we're going to glorify him and magnify him in this place today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, God. Thank you that our whole lives get to worship you, whether it's public, whether it's private, God, or in here corporately, that we get to sing to you. We get to praise you. We get to glorify you, God. Be magnified. Be lifted up as we sing of the things that you've done for us, God. We surrender our lives to you. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through the words of these songs. Speak to our hearts through the word that we've just heard. Let us reflect and remember the things that you've done in our hearts, God, in our lives. Lord, we love you and we praise you for all you've done. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. In his name we pray. Amen.